We are continuing a series in Genesis. Now, if you were here last week, you would have seen the beginning that Pastor Brett spoke on uh, of the creation and the story behind that. And what we really want to do is we want to see how God reveals himself through the, chat, through the book of Genesis. Now, if you've, if you've never taken the time to read Genesis straight through, it is fascinating. You see, you see so much in that one book, and you can really see how God was, was introducing himself and also introducing what he was going to do with his son, Jesus. And it's incredible to know that we, we serve a God that had everything so planned out perfectly that he knew what would happen, even at the beginning. So... I'm really excited to get into this today. Today we're going to be talking about rest, and we're going to be looking at Genesis 2, the, the first three verses, and then we're going to expand on that as well. But before that, um, I just wanted to mention a, a recent hobby that I've been taking up, and it really stemmed from a TV show that my kids and my wife, we've, we've been watching. We've, we've really enjoyed it. It's called The Great British Bake Off. I don't know if anybody else in here has, has seen that. Is it good? Yeah. It's awesome. I think it's great. We've probably seen three seasons of it so far, and we're waiting to see who, who wins the fourth one. But it's, it's, it's the show where they take average people, they're not professionals, and they, they bring them onto a cooking show, and they have to cook these amazing desserts or uh, meals, breads. And it's been so fascinating to me to watch, and I, I've really enjoyed it. And, but as we've been watching it, I've been kind of saying, you know what? If they can do it, I can do it, right? Well... Um, so the, the kids and I, we, we've been starting that, and this week we've, we've probably cooked about three different types of, of breads, and it's, it's been really fascinating, because as you start learning more and more about the process of baking, and of especially bread making, you learn that there's, there's certain ingredients that are crucial, and there's also certain steps that have to be made, or else the bread just doesn't come out proper, as they say over there, right, in, in Great British Bake Off. I've been learning a whole new range of vocabulary, too, that I'm, I'm really excited about. So, um, but one of those steps is, is, goes along with what we're talking about today. And so I wanted to try it out, and it didn't really prove my point, but it, it sort of works. Um, I'm going to ask them to go ahead and put up the, the first picture. That These two loaves started out exactly the same, okay? They're from the same batch. They had the same exact ingredients. They were cooked for exactly the same time. However, one thing is different. You can obviously tell by the shape. Um, and, and if you were to come over here and, and squeeze my loaves, you would notice that this one is like a rock, and this one is quite airy. And what was the difference with those? You see, in baking... Um, a crucial part of bread making is to allow the dough to rest. Now, when you allow the dough to rest, that allows the yeast to start forming in, inside, creating little pockets, little bubbles that forms with the gluten, and it rises. If you don't do that, then your bread is going to be like this. It's going to be very dense. It's going to be very short. Or Well, it actually got a little higher, but it, it's, it's more of the density of a brick instead of a loaf. And I... I wanted to try it out, and I saw that it made a difference, but I was wondering, you know, rest is, is so important, <laughs> and it, it's, it's crucial, and it's so important to the human body that God actually 
made sure that we knew that we needed it. I mean, if, if I asked you guys, if, is anybody in here tired? I'm sure a lot of hands would probably shoot up. Um, my son, for some reason, has probably over the past 15 days, we've probably slept through the night one of those 15 days. He's just constantly waking up in the middle of the night. And so I, I, I desire to sleep restfully. But also I know that real rest doesn't exactly come from a full night's sleep. You know, 68% of, of people in a worldwide poll said that they do not get enough rest. And, you know, that, that really doesn't make you weak. And that doesn't make you weird. That makes you a human. <laughs> you see, humans weren't designed to rest or to, to live without rest. Humans weren't even designed to be extremely productive. If you think about it, we spend a third of our lives asleep. That's not productive. That's a lot of time that we spend asleep, resting. But, you know, if sometimes I, 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 I've actually asked God, why do we need sleep so much? I mean, if, if the, the plants, they don't sleep. And, and I actually started studying more about animals. And even some dolphins don't actually need to sleep. They can shut off half of their brain and still continue on with their life. And then they rest the other half of their brain. And that's, that's pretty amazing. And even bullfrogs, they don't need to sleep. Weird things that I'm mentioning here. But basically, rest is vital to the human life. And if we do not get rest, there are adverse side effects. And eventually, it leads to death. We are programmed to need rest. And that's why I want to see if God kind of reveals to us why we were built this way. So let's go to Genesis 2. If you have a Bible, um, or you can turn with me to Genesis 2. It'll be on the screen behind me. If you don't have a Bible in the back of these chair pockets, these black chair pockets, you can find one. Genesis 2 is really easy to get to. Um, first book of the Bible, so it would just be about a page or two over. Let's start. Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rest from all, he rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would open up our eyes to see what it is that you want to teach us today, Lord. I pray that the words that are coming out of my mouth would not be my words, but, but your word, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just reveal to us different ways that we, can, we need to be resting in our lives, God. And it's not, it's not about our selfish desires, but it's all focused on, on who you are, God. So please, Lord, reveal to us what your word is teaching us. In your name we pray. Amen. So in, the lo in looking at the, the second chapter of Genesis, in those first three verses, we can, we can identify um, each verse says something. All right? in, in verse 1 it says, it was finished, the creation, it's complete. Nothing else needed to be added, nothing else needed um, to be tweaked. It was, it was perfect in the beginning, and it was finished. That's what verse 1 says. Verse 2 says that the process was now stopped. God rested. He, he rested, meaning, again, it needed no more work. It was, it was done, okay? 
and number three, verse three, it said that he blessed the day. He blessed the day and he rested because it was finished. He rested because it was finished. You know, many times, you know, I've read the account of the creation and I marveled at all the things that God did. And when you think about it, you know, all the things that he created, all the things that had to go together and how he just spoke it into existence, it was incredible. And that's, you know, honestly, for a long time, I considered the creation story to be a Genesis 1 story (laughs) or just a six-day story of all the things that God did in those six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested, you know, because... You know, what else was he going to do? He, he rested. It was done. But I would be mistaken if I continued to believe that it was just a Genesis 1 story, that it was only a six-day ordeal. And the fact is that everything was created for man's benefit. The stars and the moon, the sun and the sky, the ground, the water, the fruit and the vegetables, the animals, and the Sabbath. The seventh day were all created for man's benefit. You know, the, the Sabbath was not created because God needed a breather, but it was, it was for us. And it is a constant reminder of our dependence on God and that our confidence should be in God, that he is all that we really need. So we're going to move on to some other verses that I'd like to examine in the Bible about rest and about Sabbath. But before we do that, let me make three notes about what we've already seen in Genesis 2, okay? The first one is that before God rested, he first stated that creation was finished. That seems pretty obvious. It seems like we could just skip over that. But this is very important to where we're going next, okay? It was finished, Creation was finished. It was complete. There was no need for him to toil anymore because he accomplished what he set out to do. God completed creation, so he said, it is finished. Number two is that rest is actually a word that means to cease. You know, a lot of times when we think of what rest is, we think of just chilling out on the couch, watching some Netflix, or you know, going to the beach with a book and just blanking our mind out of everything around us. That's not exactly what God was doing here. <laughs> Resting is, is a purposeful action of not doing anything. <laughs> Just like when I was baking the bread, I, I needed, after I finished mixing all the ingredients, I set it there, I had to leave it rest. I had to leave it to rise because if I didn't do that, well, I wouldn't be following the, the recipe. <laughs> but God was not needing a break but he rested because he finished what he set out to do. So he ceased the work. He, he ceased, or another translation says it's, it could also mean to desist. So stop doing what he was doing. Number three, God blessed the Sabbath. And he blessed the Sabbath because he knew that we, we needed that Sabbath as much as we need our daily bread. It's, it's really odd to think about God blessing a, a day, you know, because he, he, we see many accounts of him blessing people, even blessing, you know, animals or crops. 
The Sabbath was just a day in the week. However, it showed us that, that God knew that we needed that so much. It was vital to our existence, and, and we're going to get into as to why. But if, if, if we consider why we had the Sabbath, it's, it's not because that God needed a little breather. And it wasn't because he needed us to all get together and figure out a day that we could make church. God is all-powerful. And he didn't need the day to relax, and he didn't need it to fill up to get his lucky number seven. He rested because he was declaring that it was finished. He rested because the day, the week, creation was done. And it's curious that it's actually on the seventh day. As in ancient Mesopotamia, the seventh day was actually considered an unlucky day, a cursed day. And here God is saying, no, the seventh day is the most blessed I love when God does that. So how does, how does this Sabbath actually work into our lives? Or how, how would we actually apply it? And, and in Genesis 2, we don't see God actually giving a mandate as to you shouldn't do any work on any day. We, we actually see that later on in, in Exodus. But let's, let's examine a little bit about how that applies to us as, as the people of God. You know, the, the Old Testament laid out some really strict guidelines to following the Sabbath. <laughs> so strict that some of the punishments were death. And when you think about it, you're like, well, I don't know. I rarely get all the work I need to get done in six days. <laughs> my Sabbaths, my Sundays, or for me, it's, it's usually my Monday, usually does entail some form of labor or work. <laughs> So why do we have this? Let's look at one of the first instances of the Sabbath being enforced, and this is found in Exodus 16. Now, to get to Exodus 16, you've got to understand the story of God's people. Okay, this is, right, this is after the people went to Egypt. This is after, you know, God came in and he did some incredible, um, miraculous things to, to allow Pharaoh to release them from his grip. The people were slaves. They were, they were powerless, and they were crying out to God to, to help them. And so God does. And, and we see this really unique thing happening because the people, they were so used to working. They worked all the time. They were slaves. But what God was going to teach them was that now they needed to not learn how to work hard. They needed to learn how to depend on God. They needed to learn dependence on him. And so they were led out into the wilderness. Um, it's said that there was over 600,000 men over the age of 20. So that could easily put the number to over 2 million people in the desert. And when you think about how many people that is, and going through a desert where there's no food, no water, how was God going to do that? Well, he, he did something amazing. And so we find that in Exodus 16. So I'm going to pick up from, from verse 14. And it, it's kind of a lot to read, so we're going to read through it, and then we're just going to highlight a few things, okay? Exodus 16, 14. It says, And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, Fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, 
They said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of persons that each of you has in their tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, which was about two liters, I looked it up. (laughs) When they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever had gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. And when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a solemn rest, is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded him, and it did not stink. There were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people still went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And I I wanted to read that because I feel like this really shows the fault in the human heart. (laughs) And the reason of why they needed a Sabbath in their life and why we need a Sabbath in our life, why we need rest so much. Could you ask yourself, why were the people hoarding the manna? (laughs) Why were they so concerned that they needed to gather extra and save it when God was giving it to them daily? Why were they so worried that it wouldn't be there on the seventh day? I mean, why would they even go out and check? (laughs) They didn't trust God. They didn't want to depend on what God had done. They were more confident in their own gathering skills than with the supremacy of God in their life. The God who delivered them from slavery. The God who had opened up a sea. (laughs) The God who had brought water from a rock in the wilderness. The God who had created the universe. They were more confident that they could gather enough manna to fulfill their needs than to trust God to provide for them daily. (laughs) Following the Sabbath meant surrendering to God's sufficiency in their life. It meant saying, God, I'm going to trust you more than I trust myself. You know, the Sabbath was so much more than just a mandated day of rest. It was, it was a step that Israel needed to take to show that they were trusting in God's provision, that they were depending on him. And I find it very curious that when, when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, 
that he spends so much time talking about the Sabbath. I just want to show you guys um, in Exodus 20. In Exodus 20, we get the Ten Commandments. And, you know, when we think of the Ten Commandments, we think of the big ones, you know, like you shouldn't murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. And we very rarely consider the Sabbath to be even, should it even be on the same list, God? <laughs> I mean, murder and adultery and stealing, that, that's obviously really bad. But working on the Sabbath, that, that doesn't make sense. Well, Exodus 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. And what I love about the, that commandment is that the first word is, is remember. And that's what this is about, church. It's, it's about remembering who God is. Is God the creator of the universe? Well, if he is, then shouldn't we live like it? Is God able to do whatever he says? If he is, then let's trust him we got to remember that God is in control, that, that he is who he says he is, and he only rested after it was finished. It was complete. You know, when I was little, I, I, I honestly didn't understand the importance of the commandment. It seemed like a big deal, you know, that, that commandment number four was, was included in there. And, and you know what? It, it is a big deal, because it reflected the heart. That commandment reflects the heart of the people. You know, were they going to surrender their lives to God? Was God really going to be enough for them? Or did they think that they had to do something themselves? You know, and I wonder what, what would happen if we actually lived that out? You know, what if we actually kept the Sabbath? <laughs> what would the positive consequences be? You know, I don't think it'd be slothfulness. I don't think it'd just be a bunch of people lounging around, you know, getting into trouble. But I think it would be a release of, of this overbearing pressure to achieve. We'd put less emphasis on what man said about our performance, and our focus would be on, on God's provision and God's protection of our family. It would not be on earning my salvation. It would be on the marvelous work of the cross where Jesus cried out, it is finished. You know, there's, there's this guy named Augustine, and he lived a really long time ago. But he said something that is true to us still today. And it said, you have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And when you think about it, aren't we all a little restless <laughs> Don't we all struggle with rest, feeling like we don't have it, worry, burdens in our life? There's, there's a million different things that we could worry about that could take away our rest. And, you know, when we read the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we, we find not just dozens, but hundreds of people 
who are restless, who are tired, who are worried, who are hurting. And I just, I want to refer to to Mark 5, and I'm not going to put it up on the screen, and I'm not going to read it all, but if you want an accurate picture of humanity, and if you want an accurate picture of who God is, read Mark 5, (laughs) because you see Jesus stepping, it starts out with him stepping out of a boat and being approached by a man who was very restless. He he was actually a demon-possessed man who lived in a cemetery. Now, he lived in a cemetery because nobody wanted him around them. They had tried chaining him with shackles and chains, and each time he had burst through them because he was possessed with very powerful demons. And the man it actually says that he cried day and night and that he, he cut himself with sharp rocks. This is a man who, who needed rest. <laughs> But he actually approaches Jesus and the demons are actually talking through the man and they say, Jesus, why are you here? Please don't send us out of the country, which is an odd thing for a demon to say, but I don't really get it. But then Jesus says, okay, I'm going to cast you into this herd of pigs that's over on the hillside. And so he does and the pigs all run and jump into the lake and drown and the man is left in his right mind, finally being able to have rest. And people are so amazed and actually mad at Jesus that, that they go and run to the countryside or run back into town and they start telling people, look, all the pigs that we had, they jumped into the ocean and now that guy, you know, the one that we tried to chain up in the cemetery, well, he's free and he's, it looks like he's in his right mind. And so people came and, and they were amazed. And the guy said, Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to go where you're going. Let me, let me be with you because that's what happens whenever we really feel rest. We want more of that. And Jesus actually says, no, I want you to stay here and tell everybody what, what happened. And, and so he did. And it says that people were marveled at, all the, at what happened in that man's life. Jesus then immediately returns to the boat. So he just went over there, obviously, to have that encounter with the man. He gets in, back in the boat. He crosses over to another shore and there he's immediately met with a bunch of people. And, and there's a guy named Jairus. And he, he approaches Jesus and he says, Teacher, please, my daughter is sick. They say that she might die. I don't know what to do, but I know that you can heal her. Can you please come quickly? And so Jesus says, yeah, sure, uh, I'll go. And so as Jesus is on his way there, he's, he's met by a ton of people who are just surrounding him. And there's this woman in the crowd, and, and it's a woman that had been dealing with hemorrhaging and bleeding for, for many, many years. And she just said, you know, if I, if I just touch that man's clothing, maybe it'll make me whole. Maybe it'll heal me. And, and she does. She reaches out without... without Jesus knowing at the time, and, and Jesus felt the power go out of him, like he, was, like he healed somebody. So he turned around and he said, who did that? Who touched me? And the disciples were saying, well, there's so many people in the crowd. How do you know? And there's surely a lot of people touched you. But he said, no, I felt healing power come out of me. Who was it? So the woman, obviously afraid, she, she came up to him. And you know what he says? He says that, he said, thy faith hath made thee whole. That's the way that that King James puts it. Her faith had made her whole. Her faith had made her complete. 
She was healed now. And so then, as that commotion was going on, some, some of the, the, the original guy, Jairus, his, his friends came up and said, listen, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter, she didn't make it. She's dead. And Jesus said, no, we're still going to go. And so he goes, and he finds a house full of people that are just crying and mourning the loss of this little girl. And Jesus says, it's not over. <laughs> he goes up, and he raises her from the dead. And then he tells the people, shh, don't tell anybody about this, which astounded me at first. But we see in that chapter, we see so many people who are struggling and so many people that are striving to find, to be whole, striving to find real rest because there's so many things in life that burdens us. And Jesus teaches us what real rest is, and it's, it's found in him alone. It's not found even in the things that we have or in our health. It's not even found in our family. It's found in him alone. So how, how often is it, though, that we are so convinced that we need something else in life for us to achieve this rest? <laughs> you know, achieving a little more money so that you know, we can take that vacation because that's really what we need to be able to relax or... I just need to get through this, this stage in my career and get that promotion because then I'll be able to relax or I'll be able to rest. Or, or I just need to get my kids through this right now because then I know that if they're done with that, then I'll be able to rest. And I just think it's very obvious that we live in a world that is poisoned. You know, there's so many people that are struggling. There's so many people that, that are hurting. And it's because we live in this poisoned world that that offers no rest. It'll dangle a lot of things in front of our eyes and convince us that we need it. I need this when our real rest is found in Christ alone. What I love about that whole chapter also is just the way that, that Jesus told some people to say, I want you to tell everybody about what happened. And then he told some other people, no, don't tell anybody what happened. And I wondered why, you know? And, well, the, the real case is that there were so there were people that wanted to make Jesus king, like the real king of the Jews. And, and Jesus knew that, that his life was all pointing towards something important. It was pointing to the fulfillment of all the prophecies. It was pointing to the fulfillment of all the promises that were in the Old Testament. It was building up to something. It was building up to the cross, that's what I love. I love it whenever Jesus is on the cross. And if you remember the words that he said, you know, recorded, it's finished. <laughs> he set out to do what he needed to do. He set out to be the savior of this world. He set out to be the only thing that could cleanse us of our sins. Was that sacrifice of Jesus on the cross where he said it is finished. In Hebrews, the author of Hebrews really has some amazing insight into what was really happening. And I want to read in Hebrews 10. There's a couple verses in there that, that, that helps us to see what, what was actually going on, you know, when Jesus was, was being crucified and, and the moments after. And you see, in the old times, they had to constantly offer up sacrifices, these sacrifices to cover sin. It never really took it away, but it covered their sin. 
so that the people could still be called holy. But in Hebrews 10, 11 through 12, it mentions this. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. (laughs) So why is Jesus sitting? Why is he resting? He is resting because he completed what he set out to do. He is able to rest now. He, is, he did not waver in what he was sent to do. His face was set like a flint in the mission to redeem mankind, to pay the excruciating price for our sins. He accomplished what he set out to do, and he rested not because he was tired. He rested because what he did was complete. Our salvation isn't in jeopardy. It is secure and it is strong to those who take rest in him. So my question to you, church, is are you weary and are you restless? Do you feel tired? Do you feel like this world is, is so burdening to you? You know, your rest is not found in, in worldly pleasures. I am the first one to admit that I like to escape. <laughs> I like to grab my fins and my snorkel and go out to Eden Rock and just relax out there looking at all the coral and the fish, and, and man, that's, that's refreshing to my body and that's refreshing to my mind, but it's not refreshing to my soul. <laughs> and you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but if I really want rest for my soul, <laughs> I need to approach God. I need to find my rest in Him because it's with Him alone that can take away my rest because I was designed for that. Jesus offers an invitation to each one of us, and it's an invitation to remember what he did for us on the cross and the power of finding rest in him. So I'm going to close soon with with Matthew 11. Many are familiar with this verse. Matthew 11, 28, it says this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus extends that invitation to each one of us, and, and if we really want and we desire to know what real rest is, it's only found in walking with Jesus. <laughs> to be yoked with him. So once we pull away from him, we're immediately going to be overwhelmed with the burdens and the pressures of this life. But if we are yoked with him, meaning that we are connected, we are tied together with him, don't you see that he is pushing through? He is the one that is doing everything that needs to be done. He did everything that needed to be done for us to be whole, for us to find real rest. And Jesus extends that invitation to each one of us.